guys are singing like there's no tomorrow. It's a good way to sing. It's a good way to live like there's no tomorrow. Kind of changes perspective a little bit when we're maybe, I don't just mean this relatively lightheartedly in some respects, but when we're forced to actually enjoy today. Many of us have got plans of things we want to do, things we like to achieve, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. It's great to have dreams and visions. But they become problematic for us if we end up despising today or not rejoicing in today. With all of its foibles, with all of its high spots and low spots, today's message is going to try and tackle some of that. Uh, it's a message that I've entitled The Journey into Entering into God's Promises, What Not to Do. And uh, we'll see if we can glean a few thoughts out of the book of Numbers. found myself um, mesmerised by chapters 11, 12, 13 and 14 this week. One of the Bible reading plan days was in Numbers 11. And I read this single verse that this particular plan puts you onto for the day and I thought, oh, I've got to read more of that. So I started at chapter 11, verse 1 and started reading and thought, oh boy, okay, let's look at chapter 12. Now let's look at chapter 13, which I knew was one that was pretty challenging, about sending spies into the land and the Israelites deciding not to go and 14. And Anyway, it's become the, sort of the basis of this message today. So I want to pray before we sit down and have a listen to this. I know that God loves you. I know that God loves me. I know that God loves this. And I also know that God knows that this can be complicated church is complicated community is complicated this story about a huge community is complicated but behind all of the toing and froing and the journey is this one incredibly immovable dimension the love of God the word of God his faithfulness to his promises So Heavenly Father, I pray today that we'd have our ears open and our hearts softened as we start this year together in this place, Lord, and January is a great time to just launch into the coming season. I pray that we would make decisions this year that enable us to step towards our destiny and your destinations for our lives. Father, what's behind is behind. Lord, we might still have to live out the consequences of decisions we've made in the past. But I pray, Lord, that at every turn we'd turn to you and we'd find doors opening, things that need to come to an end, coming to an end, things that need to start and keep going, commencing this year and leading us forward to give us eyes to see and ears to hear in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Tap your neighbour and say, this is going to be good, and have a seat. That'll be great. Thanks, team. just want to reiterate the welcome that John um, put in place this morning. If you're visiting us for the very first time, you're on holidays or you're checking out a new churches because you've moved into the area, whatever the deal is. I know there are a number of visitors with us this morning. We are so excited you're here. We just love seeing new faces in our church. And if we haven't made you feel welcome, shame on us. We'll try to repair that after the service um, if we haven't. But um, I'm pretty confident that we've said hello. I hope we have. Uh, And if we haven't, this is hello. Okay? Very good. Well, here we are. First message for me for the year. We had wonders 
and wonderful Nathan Cox preaching last week. He's gone home to Sydney Town and um, he will unleash some more of his wisdom over there over this year, I'm sure. But uh, it's great to be in the pulpit for the first time this year for myself. And so here we go. If you're taking notes today, this is kind of C5 at C3. Okay, we've got C's, uh, some C words that you could take some notes with this morning. So it's C5, I think, at C3. Anyway, just being a little bit little bit stupid, you know. My, as you can tell, I'm not a very humorous person um, and my jokes go down like a lead balloon, so I won't try any of those this morning either. No, they don't. My, I, no, I, I, a man's got to know his limitations, said Clint Eastwood in a movie. and uh, I, I know my limitations. Anyway, I'll get on to the purpose here. Numbers chapter 11. You need to open up to chapter 11, starting at verse 1. Now the people complained, say complained, about their hardship in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned amongst them and consumed them from the out, some of them off some of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. So that place is called uh, Taborah because fire from the Lord burned amongst them. This is the first uh, little section I want to look at. Um, and the first word is, of the sea is complain. And uh, I would have mentioned that word from the pulpit probably many a time over the years. And I was reflecting upon that um, as I prepared this message this morning and realised, um, and I've possibly shared some of this sentiment before, that I am really quite easily moved down the road of complaining. Um, I can complain about the weather. I can complain about a blunt drill bit. I can complain about dropping a tool. I can complain that that thing just broke. I can complain about the car being too hot. I can complain about that idiot on the road because there's plenty of them um, and I'm probably one of them. Um, It's really easy to move into the zone of complaint. But this story has got a bit of a shake-up and wake-up tone to it regarding complaining, especially when it comes to complaining about what it is that God's put into your care or my care to be a steward of. And each one of us has got a different calling on our lives and what we're stewards of varies from one person to the next. But what I think I'd want to get out of this story this morning is to encourage you, whatever it is that God's put in your hand in the way of a gift or a calling or a project or a destiny, don't ever spend time complaining about it. Like get used to the load of what it is that God's put before you. Now this this story is about a bunch of people who were previously slaves in Egypt At this point in the story, um, they're about a month into their journey towards the promised land. In other words, they've been on the road for one month. They've already complained about lack of water and lack of food. And so they are being fed with manna, which is a mysterious uh, substance that grows in the desert. um, And there was plenty of it. Um, But they were kind of getting sick of it. And uh, they were just murmuring about all sorts of things to do with the journey. And I wanted to stop and think for a moment and ask you to think through this for yourself, maybe when you get home, but there might be a moment now to do that um, because your list's not as long as mine. But are there any things that you know you complained about last year? And the second question alongside that is, did the complaint shift you towards your destiny? Because my observation is complaint usually moves me further down the road of complaint. It, it, do, it doesn't very often shift me up to the, the pedestal of breakthrough. It shifts me to the pit of more complaint. 
And I can find myself on a little spiral downwards and this is certainly what the children of Israel were doing. So my number one com- uh, complaint, my number one point this morning is don't, don't let complaint end up in your repertoire of dealing with life's hardships because we've all got them. We've all got issues that are sitting in front of us that are a challenge. Uh, and this alongside that gets to the next point. So let's keep reading from verses 4 through 6. So the rabble with them, interesting that they talk about there's, there's a bunch of people within the group that the Bible refers to as a rabble. There are certain people in any community that have the propensity to just want to do something else. Because that's what this crew are after. They began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing. So it didn't start as a general consensus of complaint. The complaint modus operandi is to grow. It's actually to gather more complainers. It is to gather more, this is not right. And so in this story, not only is complaint something we shouldn't indulge in, we've got to understand the dynamic of complaining as it's contagious. Um, when uh, I've, I've seen this in documentaries and I've also seen it portrayed in movies. When, when there's an incident, a serious incident on an aircraft, one of the things that cabin crew in an aircraft are trained to do is to separate and move people that are agitators on that plane once the situation's possibly settled down a little bit. But they, they are very quick to be looking. They're looking for pockets of complaint. And as soon as they identify people whispering, trying to solve the problem because they should know better than, than the cabin crew do what to do, they will move those people and put them at opposite ends of the aeroplane. Well, I remember, I don't know if it happens at school now, but... I was one of those kids who talked incessantly in school, got into a lot of trouble. And uh, if I ever got sat next to a talker, we would talk. And funny about that, the way to resolve that problem is to separate the talkers and put one at one end of the class and one at the other. You go and sit down the back and you sit in the front or whatever. um, Why is that? Because complainers gather complainers. So don't get involved in a company of complainers, no other C. Separate yourself. Just a little heads up there. So let's have a look at this. The rabble began to crave other food. Um, And the Israelites, as a group, then started waiting and said, only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions and the garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Now, I don't know about you, but... um, I think they've got a fair case. Because um, even in our family, I know that if one of us was to serve up even a nice steak every night for a month, one of us would eventually say, I'm actually a little over steak. <laughs> or it might be fish, or it might be lamb, or it might be chicken, or if you're living with a vegan, it might be something that's challenging for you. I like the idea the Bible talks about if only we had meat to eat. Anyway, that's another story. (laughs) 
So as I said, the Israelites at this point in time are probably about a month into their journey. Where are they going? They're a month into their journey to God's promise. And they're already complaining. They're already not happy that it's taking so long. They're already not happy that what's been provided for by God is actually not good enough. And this segues a lot into what John was sharing this morning, that 1 Colossians 11 scripture from the YouVersion Bible reading plan. Uh, wonderfully. It's like perseverance. Perseverance is a quality that you and I as Christ followers have got to uh, water, feed, make strong in our lives because my observation is the purpose and the things of God rarely come fast. And so, and oftentimes there's not a, well, by the January the 30th you'll have this. It's like, no, start out on January the 1st and just start heading towards the end of the month and we'll see what happens. There's no, not often, a clearly defined end game with God. And so it is easy to lose heart if things appear to me or you to be taking longer than they should. And so they started to lose heart. Another thing about the complaint was they were sick and tired of repetition. But what if that's the pathway to the promise? I know some people today might have thought, I wasn't one of them, we sang a song that had Jesus said, sung quite a few times. One of the throwaway kind of banterish kind of complaints, if you call that criticisms of, or light-hearted slap in the face for a Pentecostal church person is that we sing songs that are repetitive and we repeat them over and over and over and over and over. I've heard those criticisms. I'm sure you've had them said to you by well-meaning brothers and sisters from other parts of the family. But what if? What if the repetition... And I find the repetition in a song like that actually does take me somewhere. I find the repetition of a word or a phrase. And, you know, I've mentioned before the one we just sang, Sing Louder. I kind of, at the start of that song, when we first started singing at church, I'm kind of like, oh, it doesn't really doesn't do too much for me at all. But as we repeated it, say repeat. As we repeated it, as we repeated using it, as it become part of the repertoire of our church, it began to build in me something that it wouldn't have if I had just kept on pushing it aside as like that song's kind of not doing it for me. It's like, can I encourage you to be a perseverer? So what's this little section what got and what's the C word I want to give to you under this one? Is they, they as a group found their destiny being killed before their eyes by the issue of comparison. They were comparing where they were today with what they had yesterday in captivity. Don't let comparison, don't compare yourself with another person. Don't compare us as a church with another church. Don't compare yourself with a colleague at work. Don't compare yourself to a sibling or a relation. Don't compare yourself to a successful person. From the point of view, there's nothing wrong with aspiring to be like a successful person, but the way to get there is, to not, is not to compare yourself. Comparison will rob you of your destiny. Remember, these are things what not to do on the journey towards God's promises for our life. So what routines are you pursuing today to the promises of God? 
What is repetitious in your life that's actually building strength for you as a Christ follower? Is there a repetition of Bible reading? It's a repeated deal for you every day of the week. Is there a repetition of prayer? What sort of prayers do you pray on your own? Do you pray prayers that you were taught by your parents, if you were taught by parents or somebody or other, um, and you haven't changed the style for years? Or are you kind of pray off the top of your head? Or do you just, when you, the, the need arises, you just call out to God, help! That's your prayer life. Um, and God listens. Or is it a little more structured than that? I was taught the prayer when I went a little kid at home. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon this little child. Bless mum and dad and Deb and Sue, they're my two sisters, and the dog and the chook and guinea pig Sally. And watch over grandma and grandpa. And Amen. And uh, fortunately, my prayer life's moved on from that. But um, what was built into that repetition, which is like building a repetition into, say, maybe grace around the meal table. It's really easy to take it and view it cynically as repetition. But I like to think that those sorts of things are habit-forming and they develop good habits and the repetition eventually bears fruit. Um, So what routines are you pursuing to the promises of God? And are they starting to bore you? Um, Think about comments or thoughts you've had about repeating the chorus of a song or, as I said, the one we just sang this morning. Have I got a problem with repetition and have I got a problem with comparison? Final question around this one is how much of my time is spent comparing my life with others? It may be a non-issue for you, um, but I'm just wanting to highlight it. For some of us, it can become a problem. Okay, let's keep reading. We're in uh, Numbers chapter 11. Going to pick up from verse 10 now through to 17. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. I just want you to um, remember what Moses is. He's a leader. Okay, he's the leader of this crew. We're talking 600,000 men, the Bible says. Some scholars want to have arguments about how to translate that into actual numbers, but let's assume the group of people is somewhere between the size city of Adelaide, 1.5 million people, and halfway to the size of Melbourne at five, so about 2.5 million. It could be anything between 1.5 and and 2.5 million people following one man. You think about that. Think about the structure in the city of Adelaide. Imagine one guy standing up at Gawler and giving a wolf whistle and said, right, we're moving out. And every man, woman and child from Gawler to Salix Beach and from Largs Bay to Mount Barker said, right, we're out of here. Pretty mind-blowing. Think about the dynamic of that number of people uh, when you think about the dynamic of that number of people here in the city of Adelaide. But as they were wailing, so people were just ticked off. You know, that season where everyone's a little bit grumpy, Hopefully that's not today. Hopefully it's not the way we're starting the year. But let's read on. The Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give birth to them? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wanting to me, give us meat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. 
if this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me if you have found favour in my eyes and do not let me face my own ruin. That's a bad day. That's a bad day as a leader going, I'm absolutely, over. I've had it. This bunch of people are really over the top. They're not mine. They're not my problem. But if you're going to make it my problem, just cut me out because I've had it. And the Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come down to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there. And I'll take some of the power of the Spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you don't have to carry it alone. My third point, and I'll get down to a C word in it in a minute, is this. Leaders sometimes lose heart. If you're a leader, if you're a connect leader in our church, if you're a leader of some ministry in our church or if you're visiting from somewhere else, and you've got responsibility to do something for God as a leader. It's not wrong to lose heart. It's, it's just a reality because whatever it is that God's asked you or me to do is impossible for us to do. If it's easy for us to do, I would say it's probably not what God's called us to do. His calling is impossible. Fortunately, it says in the New Testament, and with God, all things are possible, or nothing is impossible with God. And so God will sort that out. So think about the times you've wondered about your leaders. What are they doing, or what is their problem? Have you handed that burden to God, or started to brood and or get offended? My suggestion is make it a priority this year to pray for all the elders in our respective churches. Let's pray for them. Those with delegated authority and leadership need our prayers. So here each week we model that by praying for the leaders of C3. We pray for them because we know, like we can, they get disheartened. I've heard Pastor Phil share at some senior ministers' closed meetings um, and publicly, uh, just times where he's felt... Um, over the years, completely overwhelmed by the weight of what God's put on him. um, It's just, we're not immune to it. It's not something to be ashamed of. But I think for us corporately, what what we've got to not do is stick the boots in. What we've got to understand is every leader in our midst is just like you and me, a human being, trying to live out what God's plan is for their lives. So God's plan to help him, this is an interesting um, different view of the same story in the book of Exodus because in the book of Exodus this issue is arisen as a criticism from his father-in-law Jethro Jethro comes to Moses in the book of Exodus and says what you're doing is not right in this story Moses realizes and complains to God I can't do this it's exactly the same moment of time why the two different stories I think to show that we all see things differently We're all going to look at a leader not coping with their load through different eyes. And the Bible's okay with that. And so Jethro's not in this story. It's Moses complaining to God and God saying to him, solution is I'm going to put some of the anointing that's on your life, some of the call that's on your life to lead, I'm going to take some of that. It's a spirit that's on you. And I'm going to put it on 70 other people. I want to say that again. I'm going to take the anointing that's on your life. There's an anointing to lead. 
you may or may not have that until God puts it on you and that's why in a church like ours particularly we commission people by the laying on of hands we symbolically and really impart the anointing that's on a leader in a church and we pray for them to receive the anointing to lead that's on us that's the way it works God this is just the language of it's a little bit more like God's doing the shifting well in reality when we lay hands on people that's what's going on God's the one shifting his anointing from one person onto another it's not like this person runs out of anointing just this person picks up the same anointing and even then you go so this goes from one guy leading say one and a half million people to 70 people basically leading a district about the size of the Mount Barker District Council 35,000 people that's still a lot of people to be managing but definitely divvies up the weight a little bit so um, what's the issue here My point, I think, out of this little part of the scripture is to learn to hand over if we've got critical and or complacent about a leadership dynamic in a community like this, which happens from time to time. The solution is to give that to God. The solution is to hand it in prayer over to God. It's to let God deal with it. He's the one who's put the anointing on a leader. It's his authority and spirit on that person. If God's truly not happy with them, he'll take it off them. You don't have to. It's not your job. not my job. It's like, when he does, he'll lift his hand off. And then they would be finished as a leader. But in the meantime, I'm going to pray that they have courage. I'm going to pray for them that they would persevere. I'm going to pray that they come out of this dark place, whatever it might be. So our leaders, our leaders need courage. So this is a positive thing. We all need courage, right? I want to pray for you that you've got courage to carry what it is you need to carry through 2019. Don't give up. Don't let the burden overwhelm you. Goes, this is too hard for me. God's not going to put on you something you can't carry. He's actually, if you're carrying something that is too heavy, it is possible that God didn't put it on you. You're not meant to be carrying it. That's another story for another day. But my point here is, let's pray for someone like Moses. The people needed to be praying for him to have courage. He was losing heart and leaders lose heart. You need, I need courage, uh, not criticism or complacency. So that was point number three. Let's read, read on. So verses um, 31 through 34. Numbers chapter 11 still. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. So remember they're asking for, for meat. They're sick and tired of eating this manna. Manna's kind of a resiny thing they boiled up um, that kind of would be a little bit kind of carbohydrate-y, bready, kind of just yeah, pretty bland. So the Lord drove quail in from the sea. It scattered them. Listen to the, the numbers here. It scattered them up to two cubits deep all around the camp as far as a day's walk in any direction. Two cubits is three feet. Three feet deep. For a day's walk, a day's walk would be about from here to Crathers. That's a lot of quail. In fact, it says all that day and night and all the next day the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than ten homers. Guess how much ten homers is? One and three quarter tons per person. 
of, you know, those little birds that go beep, 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 one and three quarter tons of quail. Now, the point of the story is a little confusing at this point. I, I go, it's like, verse 33, while the meat was still between their teeth and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people and he struck them with a severe plague. Therefore, the place was called Kibroth Hadavah because they buried the people who had craved other food. Interesting story with that little twist in there about... What's that about? I say this carefully because we, we live in the time of grace because of the cross. But I want to say this, that there is always consequence to complaining. There's always fruit that's going to come from a complaint. And this is the fruit of their initial complaint about meat, wanting other food. Wanting it to be done differently. Wanting to have a say about how things should be done. Wanting, this is in the arena of food, but let's pull it back to things that are a little more close to home. It's very foolhardy to think that we're going to get to our destination as a church our destination as an individual, if, if we're going to complain about what it is that God gives us to get there. Oh, I haven't got enough leaders. Oh, we haven't got enough money. Oh, if only that opportunity happened. Why did that opportunity happen for Emily, but not for me? How come that person got promoted? How come that person getting up and giving a testimony about breakthrough from tithing? I've never done that because it's never happened for me. My view would be you and I are never going to get where God wants us to go if we live there. Now, lots of that stuff, factually, as far as the facts are concerned, could be true. But the reality is, you and me comparing ourselves to any of that doesn't get us there. Us going, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to be on board, and I'm going to do it. So what's this story of quail really about? Number one, God's provision is ridiculous. I mean, why didn't he just send even one cubit, not two? And just a few hundred yards. Not a day's walk, you know, five or five kilometres, ten kilometres out into the boondocks. It could have been further than that. I mean, that is one heck of a lot of quail, right? However you look at it. So is God showing off? Or is God punishing the complainers? This is a really interesting dynamic. Um, I didn't actually spend the time I could have looking up some examples other places in the Bible but where the Old Testament in particular deals with the issue of blessing and curse we've been conditioned to think that curses are sort of the demonic side of life Um, the Old Testament doesn't view anything like that it views everything as coming by the hand of God And it would appear to me that this scripture and others like it indicate that when God blesses us, if we are in sync with him, it's a blessing. If we're out of whack with him, what's meant to bless us will curse us. Same thing, the same substance, the same abundance, the same, it's like God's almost put on them something they could not carry. If they were not complaining, 
they could have carried it. If they weren't, they could have carried it. But because they had, his abundance overwhelmed them. So um, it's a little bit tricky to unpack that. And I don't have time to do it this morning because this is a lightweighted summer conversation with you. Um, just, just reiterating that point, light-hearted, lightweight, easy summer message. So the solution, get ready for God's abundance and be ready to carry it because you're sweet-spirited. Enter in his promises because, yes, Lord, I'm not going to complain like I have in the past. Lord, I'm trying to put that behind me. I'm not going to compare like I have in the past. I'm going to put that behind me. I'm going to actually pray and have courage and perseverance. I'm going to support my leaders. If I'm a leader, I know I'm going to be supporting the leaders leading me and I'm going to encourage those that are following me to pray for me because I need their prayers. I think as we generate that culture in our church and churches, we will find that when God does pour out his blessing, we'll carry it. It's like, no problem. It'll, we will be a blessing. But woe the day that his blessing becomes a curse. So getting into position to enter in definitely involves putting complaint to rest. Yeah, I made this comment um, as I wrote these notes down. It's not surprising in some respects to me, strangely enough in this story, that complaint actually won the day. So the story starts with a complaint and ends with an overwhelming sense of uh, difficulty complaining about now there's too much it doesn't actually say that in the scripture but essentially got to the point where they weren't happy can you imagine what that bunch of quail in a desert smelt like anybody here not into birds give me a wave if you're not into birds just a few yeah well just think of your worst nightmare that movie birds with the seagulls this is nothing on that this is as i said one and three quarter tons i don't even know how they carried that of quails, and they're light little suckers. I mean, they just weigh a few grams. There's nothing to them. One and three quarter tons of quail would be a substantial mountain of birds. And let me tell you right now, out the front of your tent, they would have stunk. Whew, just saying. Anyway, um, so my final comment then is let's make a decision to trust God, step out in faith, not complain, not compare. Be courageous. Hand over things that you don't understand, I don't understand, don't get to God. And let's let his abundance sit on us in a manner that we can carry it. Why don't we stand to our feet? You know, maybe as we come to a close this morning, something that's been said in this message, something that's been, you've heard as I've read most of Numbers chapter 11 has just sparked something in your heart. What amazes me is that reading God's word in public like this is so supernaturally powerful. In some respects, you could argue these are just words and somebody, me in this case, is reading them aloud in public. But something between you deciding to listen and me being prepared to read opens up a a door, a window, 
in a realm of the spirit that is inexplicably powerful and inexplicably intended to draw your attention and mine to God. At every turn, his word, it says elsewhere, never returns to him void. His word is like a beckoning from every quarter. If you could think of yourself surrounded in 360 degrees and God's able to bring an invitation to you from every direction. As we read the word and listen to it, God's extending his hand to you and to me. And maybe something about this message this morning has caused you to go, I want to reach out and grab the hand of God. So let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, as we stand in this final moments of our meeting this morning, anticipating 2019, I pray, Lord, that these words from Numbers chapter 11 will have stirred our hearts one way or another to trust you, to lean on you, to not do a number of things this year. To be a person who continues the journey. No matter how difficult it might appear to be at this point in time, I'm feeling empowered to take the next steps. I'm feeling encouraged to keep going. I'm feeling convicted to not complain about my current circumstance. I acknowledge before you, Lord, that I have spent time comparing myself and where I'm at. I thought I'd be this by the time I'm 60 and I'm not. I thought I'd be this by the time I'm 30 and I'm not. I thought this would happen to me by the time I'm 25 and it hasn't happened. I'm not going to compare me with me. I'm not going to compare me with others because, Lord, I want to get through. Lord, I want to make it to the end. So breath of life, breathe on every person here this morning. Connect with them, Lord. Let them connect with you. Come, Holy Spirit. Mighty Spirit of the living God. There it is. Anointing of encouragement touching a few hearts. An anointing of peace is resting on some people who've been turbulent on the inside. Complete healing in our body has started today. Why the delay? No idea. But all I know is this, that God's healing some people of sickness and disease in this moment, in this meeting. Headaches are going. Backs are being healed. Sore legs and lower legs and feet. Chronic pain in ankles. Going in Jesus' name. 
thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Just while we're standing in his presence. I see families being healed. Families that have got some discord and disharmony in them. 2019 is going to be an amazing year of reconciliation. An amazing year of putting a stop to the criticisms around the mill table. I see families praying together like never before. I see couples praying together, seeking God, crying out to Him for their neighbourhood, for their friends, for their kids, extended family. See, lots of things shifting because we're going to decide to not do a few things and start doing a few things. Maybe in that light you've not ever considered yourself a Christian. Not ever invited Christ to reside in you as our Lord and Saviour. You're in church here this morning. Maybe you know about God and you know about Jesus, but if really pressed, you'd have to acknowledge you've never actually handed your life over to him and said, Lord, I want to live my life for you. You've got a destiny that's caught up in that conversation with God. There's a destiny for every one of us in this room that is God-given. And one of the things that you and I've got to choose is to choose Christ, to live out that destiny. So if you are at church here this morning in this place and you've never prayed a prayer to God to acknowledge your sinfulness, to acknowledge your separateness from Him. In other words, you're not connected to Him and you know it, but you want to be. We can pray a prayer together this morning that will connect you with God. If that's you, I'd love you to slip your hand up and say, Bruce, can we pray together? And we'll pray a prayer together as a whole congregation. I'll lead you in the prayer. You don't have to worry about what to say. I'll help you pray a prayer that invites Christ to come and live in your heart for the very first time. Or maybe you've lost your way because at some point you did do that. But you're in church today and you'd have to acknowledge you've been a long way from God. He knows the reasons. He knows the details. I don't need to know those. But I do know this. If you decide to turn back to him this morning and say, Lord, would you receive me again? I've got no doubt whatsoever he'll receive you. So come on, come back in. Welcome, son, daughter, back into the kingdom. We can pray for you as well. If that's you, you used to know Jesus, but you've moved away from him and you know you have and you want to come back to him this morning, I'd love you to slip your hand and say, that's me, Pastor Bruce. Can we pray? And we can pray together. Anyone need to recommit their life to him this morning? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Well, Heavenly Father, I pray today that your hand would be upon us 
if I missed a hand, I can't see as well as I'd like to up here this morning. Uh, if you slipped your hand up, please come down the front at the end of the meeting and talk to me. But we'll close the meeting in prayer. Father, today, just come. By your spirit, fill us, encourage us, strengthen us, send us out into the weeks ahead, Lord, with a great sense of determination and power in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.